This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra-stylish, premium-quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin One Expandable Backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin One is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTAKE30. That's RNRTAKE30 at TaskinSF.com. Next up on an all new Rick and Rick. Facebook's move to meta and what it means for brands. Our top five hottest but hardest to get holiday gifts this year. First the Wienermobile, now Rick and Morty Mobile. <laughs> Plus playing Doom via Twitter, loaded questions, and a whole lot more. And it all starts right here, right now. On the one show where nobody's ever a limp Rick. And everybody rules the world. Hey, hello, everyone. Welcome to an all-new episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World and our unique brand of news and views from the worlds of marketing, media, tech, and pop culture. I'm Rick Matheson, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Mr. T. I, I mean, Rick Wooten. How you doing, Rick? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. And, and aptly named Mr. T because, as you know very well, most people spell my name with one T instead of two Ts. So I kind of dig that idea of Mr. T. Yeah. Well, T kind of works this time out because it could stand for travel. You've just got back from a big trip. Yeah, you know, in my entire adult life, I've never had an opportunity to go to Amsterdam. Uh, I had to go to Amsterdam recently for work, so that was kind of cool. And uh, it was a very cool experience. I guess uh, there's one of the oldest cities in, in Europe and, and all that, and it, it's got canals similar to you know other other places in Europe. But it was an amazingly beautiful town, uh, and I and I met a lot of really cool people that uh, that work for my company, and then people outside of that as well. That's super cool. I have always wanted to visit Amsterdam. Now, is there too much water for snow there? Was there snow? There was no snow there. And from talking to the locals, it doesn't sound like it it really snows all that often. But, uh, you know, it does get very yeah. cold. Um, so it, it's probably cold enough to snow, but they, yeah. they just don't end up... Uh, doesn't end up sticking. Any signs of holiday season yet? No, not at all. In fact, it was interesting because I, I I flew out of the uh, San Francisco airport and some of the shops at the airport uh, started having some you know Christmas stuff to it. But when I when I got to Europe, there was nothing. There was none of that. So I, I think that uh, starting Christmas early is really an American thing. Yeah, I don't remember if I talked to you after Halloween or not. But on Halloween night, man, kids were back in force for us, and we ran out of candy pretty quickly. Wow. Yeah. And so I went to the store and all the Halloween candy was gone and the Christmas stuff was up wow. on Halloween night. Wow. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. That was a new one for me. I hadn't seen that happen before, but going back to Amsterdam. So no sign yet of the holidays. I want to say three or four years ago, I'm not sure. I was in Luxembourg in Germany, probably mid month December. And there wasn't a huge amount of snow, but man, it was really cool to see just the shops and everything. And um, their town squares are filled up with these Christmas villages for hanging out, they're shopping, and just a really nice place to spend the lead up to the holidays. I, I was really impressed. And Amsterdam, that's one of the places I'd most like to go. It was a, it was a beautiful town. I, I should have done a little more research before I went. I, I didn't realize how much the canals played into the architecture of the city, but it was amazing. It was really amazing. In fact, uh, one day I got to take a cruise through the canals. It was kind of a, an afternoon work kind of excursion thing. And uh, it was just amazing to listen to the kind of the story about the architecture architecture and the city 
and you know how these things went back hundreds of years and it was just uh you know coming from particularly the bay area where it's really kind of grown up over 100 years you know <laughs> hearing about this this place that i and and i, I hope i'm not wrong on this but at the re- one of the restaurants we ate at they had said something like 1608 is when it was founded <laughs> uh and it had been right. in and out of the family a couple of times but it was with the original family who had owned it way back then uh and it was a very nice restaurant and it was just so cool to you know think about the history of having a restaurant for 500 years yeah that is insane that blew me away in germany and luxembourg too these ancient buildings i mean 1600s easily some older much older in fact this one place that we went to that there were roman ruins in germany wow. yeah i didn't realize the empire had gone that far north maybe it was an outpost you know outside the empire i don't know but which is crazy to see these buildings that this was more built in 1100 you know that uh, kind of thing yeah it's just insane we have nothing like that here and not much i mean on the east coast i don't know i've been in boston and around cambridge and you do see houses that say you know this house built in 1694 and stuff like that but that's a very small part of the united states that dates back that far it's true it's true you know one of the things that was kind of fun about it is uh you know i was meeting with folks that were for the same company as me and so word had gotten out that i had a podcast so a few people had listened to our podcast ahead of time uh and they oh had listened to the uh <laughs> i know they listened to the episode where we had talked about superman how they kind of changed the motto for superman and you know how he'd come out as bi and all that and it was interesting to get a european's point of view and you know one of the things that was kind of fun is you know we talked about you know truth justice in the american way and you know i talked about uh, a little bit about how that had changed and what it was now and they were like you know what that's that's cool we're like uh, it makes us feel a little more integrated we we've always been a, a fan of your american superheroes but you know for them to be inclusive of us was was actually a very positive so I thought that was kind of cool because I kind of gave it a different view than I did. Yeah. But then, you know, we went over to the conversation about uh, Superman being bi and they're like, I don't know why you guys obsess on that. So what? <laughs> And so I thought that was kind of cool too. Yeah. Yeah. It really is amazing when you hear about differences. Amsterdam is much more progressive like than the United States. So that's kind of funny. You know, one of the, one of the funny things is, uh, you know, I mean, you've known me for a long time. I'm, I'm not one that, you know, is into drinking a lot. And so everybody, everybody, when I come back, is like, well, did you go to one of the coffee shops? Did you smoke pot? I was like, dude, if I wanted to smoke pot, I live in California. We, it's legal here. Like, why do I care? Like, no, I didn't go on a work function to go get stone. That's not my thing. Right. Anyway, it, it is, it, to your point, it is a very forward thinking kind of community. Right. Kind of cool. No, but I, I honestly, anybody who's a, who loves traveling, I, I highly recommend Amsterdam. It was such a beautiful city. So you recommend that. I would say we also recommend that you hang tight because we are going to get into Rick and Rick radar love for this week, starting with No Time to Die. Did you get a chance to watch this since you've been back? No, no, I have not had a chance yet and I really want to. Is it on streaming now? It is. It surprised everybody that they decided just all of a sudden to release it. But I would say that Daniel Craig finally gets to do his first James Bond movie. It was the most Bondian of the uh, Bond movies that he's been in so far. And that's a compliment. Oh, right on. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it much more than the others. In fact, it's funny, over the last several weeks, I guess when you know we we're approaching the theatrical release, 
release of No Time to Die. I watched the other Craig ones again because it had been so long and I don't think I'd ever seen any of them more than once anyway. The thing that bugged me about them is the old Bonds were pretty much standalone. You could watch any of them in any order and it, it didn't really matter. And they tried to build some continuity into the Craig era, but, but the problem was the movies were so far apart that I can remember where things had been left off. And so I'm glad I watched them again leading into this one because I saw the trailer with the actress that's in it, had no recollection of her ever being in one of the movies before. And she was a major figure in the one immediately before this one. So. Yeah. So I would say I'd highly recommend it. And uh, if you see it soon enough, we'll try to do a review. The one thing that's interesting that, you know, it did okay in the US, but it has done, you know, this is pandemic. It's done $708 million worldwide. Wow. Yeah. In the pandemic. It's the third biggest 007 movie ever in terms of just gross behind Spectre and Skyfall. So I didn't know this. So Spectre made $881 million and Skyfall made $1.1 billion, which I had no idea. But also those were in normal times. This is during pandemic and it was third. Apparently it has done better than any Bourne movie, any Mission Impossible movies. However, it only earned $150 million in the US, which puts it near the bottom for the whole franchise and the lowest domestic gross of any film ever that has still topped $700 million worldwide. It's a weird distinction. Wait, so so how does that work? It just was amazing outside the US? Exactly. I did see data somewhere along the way that pretty much the Bond audience was like 35 and up. And there was a Venom movie, I guess, out. And what you know, younger folks did go to the movies, they, I guess, went to the Venom movie. But it is interesting. And it kind of goes to the point we were just talking about, you know, Superman and, and a global audience is it is a global economy. And what just because yeah. something doesn't do great here doesn't mean it won't worldwide. But it was encouraging, you know, $700 million at the box office. And that's before all the streaming stuff. So I should mention too, the data that I just shared was from Forbes magazine. But yeah, no, I I like this one a lot. Like I said, I watched it twice. It's good. Next topic. You now have the ability, ladies and gentlemen, to play Doom via Twitter. This is one of those ones I've always been a fan of Doom. I remember playing Wolfenstein back in the day and then waiting for Doom to come out. Yes, I just aged myself really terribly. And so like Doom, it just kind of has a soft spot in my heart. And, and it's always fun to see what people get to run Doom on or Quake or whatever. And uh, and so this was kind of fun. Somebody, somebody basically created a control system for the game built into Twitter. And so you do like left, right, straight, straight, left, left, right, straight, you know, fire, whatever. And, and you do it as basically commands through Twitter, you know, tweet to doom, and they actually record the gameplay of whatever it is that you told it to do, uh, and then send it back to you in a video, which I thought was just kind of fun, right? I mean, it's been a while since I've seen somebody do something just ridiculous, just for fun like this. Everybody's been trying to kind of outdo each other, but this is just like some developer put together this hack and came up with just like a, a really cool way of playing the game. This is sort of delayed reaction, right? You do the move and then it happens and then you get the little video back. So at that speed, they're probably about as fast as I am in some of these games. I used to love Doom, actually. The entire agency I worked at had it networked to everybody's computer. So at lunch or whatever, after work, when that was super big, we would just go crazy over that. Oh, yeah. I really love that game. But uh, that is cool. So it wasn't part of a brand promotion or anything. It was just someone playing around. Yeah. And that's what makes it so much fun. Yeah, that's cool. I'm going to have to check that out. All right. Well, uh, when we come back, we are going to be talking about the good, the bad, and the marketing. So don't go anywhere. Hey, Rick and Rick Nation, don't forget to check out our website at rickandrick.com. It's double the Rick in just one click at rickandrick.com. 
think it was last episode, maybe the episode before we were talking about how Oscar Mayer has the Wienermobiles out right now in a promotion with Lyft. So I saw this story in Adweek. Rick and Morty is doing a cross promotion with Wendy's to promote Wendy's new fries. And so they're doing this with a Morty mobile. I guess it happened this last weekend, but it was delivering Wendy's, these new hot and crispy fries in Los Angeles ahead of the virtual adult swim festival. Crack me up. You and your sons were a big fan. Would you flip if you saw the Morty's mobile coming down and bringing you some hot and crispy fries? Totally. And I, I don't know if you looked at the pictures, but it's it's a truck with Rick looking backwards. So staring at the oncoming cars behind him. <laughs> It's, so, it's it's a little creepy to be honest with you. Like it's a it's a it's over the top. I would dig that. And I think it's pretty fun. Now I'll share a funny story with you. So I was talking to my uh, my son the other day, and I said, "Hey, we should dress up as Rick and Morty for Halloween." And and he responded back to me in text. He's like, you know, dad, the the problem with that is that Rick is supposed to be Morty's grandfather. So if you dressed up as Rick, it would have to be my kids that would dress up as Morty. I said, ah, yeah, you know what? That's that's a good point. And he responded back to me. Don't worry, dad. I'm on it. Give me nine months. (laughs) I'm like, wait, no, no, don't work on it. We recorded our last episode in the day or two before Facebook formally announced that it was changing its name. We were talking about how some folks were thinking it might be called Metaverse, and instead they have named it Meta, M-E-T-A. And it's one of those things where you see a lot of news stories about people going, wow, totally buying into the hype, and then everybody sitting back a moment go, oh, wait a second. This isn't quite everything that he's making it sound to be. I don't know. Everything I've heard so far, I, I kind of thought it was less meta and more like just plain meh. <laughs> I did, I have yet to hear an original idea from it. I, I sent you an article. I think it was titled, uh, Hey, Facebook, I made the Metaverse 27 years ago. It's from The Atlantic. And, you know, it's basically a guy talking about a number of these metaverses that have existed, inspired again by William Gibson over the years and how. So this is this isn't a new thing. Now, I got to give Facebook some props and then make fun of them at the same time. On the, on the prop side, you know, they've got the interface that nobody else had. Think about Second Life. Think about stuff like that. It was browser based. It was whatever. It, it, and it just never really worked well. But now that we have VR and AR, we have that that interface, be amazing. But on the flip side, I don't know, this whole thing felt like, hey, please ignore all the political drama that we've created, all the news you hear about how we're a creepy company. We're going to just split the company into pieces and we're going to call ourselves meta to change the conversation. So some of that felt like it was present as opposed to, you know, literally going after this vision, which I actually, I, I do believe they're after the vision. I just think they chose this moment just to say, hey, look over here. Don't look over at all the (laughs) other press that you're yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I stumbled upon it the other day. I found, I think it was the first or second article I'd ever written about a metaverse. And it was in 1997 or 1998. And it, in my mind, was you know sort of the evolution of, of the internet. But this is with Meta. It's a proprietary walled garden. And I don't know if it was that Atlantic article or another, but someone made the point, and it's spot on, is that uh, if you're creating metaverses, if you're running your own world within Facebook's version of the metaverse, 
metaverse, it won't matter if you can't say buy something there and then take it to visit somebody else's world, right. you know, in, that's run by Microsoft or Apple. So people are pointing out that really to be the metaverse versus a metaverse, it needs to have this persistence, which Second Life and the others always have had that, but also interoperability. And someone pointed out there's got to be a industry standard. And someone mentioned NFTs might be the way to go where you can literally assign an encapsulated digital property and potentially take it with you, your avatar skin or something that you purchased in world. And to your point just now, there's persistence and interoperability, but there also needs to be kind of a, a permeability. And I think that's where Facebook does have a leg up with Oculus. But to me, the metaverse, one was internet writ large, you know, its evolution, but two was cross reality so that you could be in a virtual experience, but also bring some of those elements into the real world via AR. Things like you go to a concert or something and you agree to say, hey, I want to know about people who share my interests. And so as you're walking through the festival or whatever, people who share your interests will pop up and so you can strike up a conversation and socialize, use it as an icebreaker. And that's where I think we're going to get to the metaverse. That article I found, I just stumbled upon. I had not looked at it in two decades now. I was talking with Sherry Turkle, who's the founder of the MIT Initiative on Technology and Self. And she put it this way, kind of along the lines of what I was just saying, is she said, at some point, we won't think of things as online or off. When we have a telephone call, we don't think of it as being a telephonic reality. It's just real life. And at least some form of permeability will begin to erase the boundaries between the virtual and the real. I think that's where we get to the idea of the metaverse. I don't know that Facebook would have any interest in that other than profiting from things that happen in its own version of a metaverse. Yeah, I think I generally agree with you. I mean, if you think about quote unquote technology, the initial stage of technology is when it feels like magic. And, you know, that could be a printing press 150 years ago, or it can be a computer today or VR goggles. And so right now we're still in the stage where things feel a little mythical, a little magical, but eventually it becomes pervasive. Like we're old enough, we think about the internet, but the kids that are a generation or two younger than us don't even think about the fact that there is a thing called the internet on their phone. All they know is they can look up something on an app. And so it becomes invisible. It becomes a part of the expectation. I also think that, you know, we shouldn't sell Facebook too short on this. And and it's 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 really the Oculus that has become this like, you know, pervasive interface into all that. And it's made it become invisible. The the latest release of the Quest 2 software makes it so that it's basically operating as an AR. You tap the side, you can see the world around I you. I saw that. If somebody comes into your field of view, you see them. Right. And so it, you know, that line between AR and VR is starting to get blurred. And so I, I think that's what Facebook is trending towards, you know, with the, the Oculus Quest 2. They're, it's becoming a mixed reality device. No, I think that they are in a strong position. But like I said, for a metaverse. But in terms of brands, I don't know if you ever spent a lot of time in Second Life. I, I did. And I actually really liked it. And there was sort of a land rush with brands rolling in. But they just as quickly pulled out because one, if it's sort of the metaverse of infinite space, any one place isn't populated very much you know, at any time. But also a lot of events got hijacked. Hacktivists, others would overrun it. So the moderation issue, I think, is going to be something that brands are going to have to look at within any metaverse, let alone the metaverse. So it'll be interesting to see how it all uh, plays out. And we come back on the other side of this break, it's going to be time to play Loaded Questions. We do not want to miss it. So stay tuned. 
This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra-stylish, premium-quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin One expandable backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin One is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTake30. That's RNRTake30 at TaskinSF.com. All right, welcome back to Rick and Rick Rule the World. It is time for Loaded Questions. It seems like every year we hear about some brand creating some kind of wacky Thanksgiving stunt flavor. Which of the following will we see this year? A, Jones turkey and gravy flavored soda pop. B, Brock's Thanksgiving dinner flavored candy corns. C, Trader Joe's turkey and stuffing flavored kettle chips. Or D, Starbucks turducken and spice latte. Which of these is actually a branded Thanksgiving flavored offering this year? I want to say I saw something about Jones Soda, so I'm going to go for that. You are correct. And in fact, the answer is A, B, and C. So according to today, Jones Soda Company, get this, it's commemorating the 25th anniversary of its turkey and gravy flavored soda. Meanwhile, yeah, it sounds gross. Meanwhile, Brock Candy is indeed out with Brock's turkey dinner flavored candy corn. And it actually has a mix of flavors. There's a green bean flavor, roasted turkey, cranberry sauce, stuffing, apple pie, and coffee. One reviewer put it that when describing the green bean flavored candy corn, quote, if you left a cup of green tea on the porch in bad weather for a week, during which time it attained sentience and promptly began plotting your demise, and you hate green tea, that's what this tastes like. (laughs) And lastly, apparently Trader Joe's turkey and stuffing flavored kettle chips is actually a thing and actually doesn't sound that gross. I I would try that. Question number two, which of the following does not does not have an ugly Christmas sweater this year. A, Green Giant, B, KFC, C, Orbit Gum, or D, Brock's Candy. Which of these brands does not have an ugly Christmas sweater this year? Oh, I'm going to guess on this one, uh, Orbit's Gum. No, so this time it is Brock's Candy. So far as we know, it does not have an ugly Christmas sweater this year. Well, according to Adage, the same cannot be said about KFC, Orbit, or Green Giant. They all have ugly Christmas sweaters this year. Final question. According to Morning Consult, Black Friday is A, dead, B, waning, C, on fire, or D, primed for liftoff. According to Morning Consult, Black Friday is which of these? I'm going to Yes. Ready for liftoff. Yeah, I wish, but no. According to Morning Console, Black Friday is waning, at least in part because 76% of consumers strongly agree or somewhat agree that in-store deals aren't worth the crowds, and 53% strongly agree or somewhat agree that the same low prices can be found all season long. In other words, they aren't feeling the pressure to stand in a long line and go, you know, remember those old commercials? Open, 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 <laughs> waiting to be, be knocked over by someone. Anyway, I think that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World Recruiting. Before we let everybody go here, share where they can find you online. You can always find me on Twitter. I'm W-O-O-T-E-N, Wooten. And how about yourself, Rick? I am at Rick Matheson on Twitter. And of course, you can find all our social profiles and listen to archived episodes of Rick and Rick Rule the World at rickandrick.com. Till next time, stay safe, keep each other safe, and keep on coming back to the one show where everybody's name is Rick. And everybody rules the world.